After the Time Out podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school head coaches talking basketball on the court, off the court, and anything in between. On today's episode of the After the Time Out podcast, we sit down with Coach Kelly Graves, head women's basketball coach at the University of Oregon. Prior to being the head coach at Oregon, Coach Graves was the head women's basketball coach at St. Mary's and Gonzaga. We talked to Coach Graves about the anniversary of Kobe Bryant's death, developing your roster during COVID, building your program, developing your coaches and players, and learning from a major loss. Enjoy the show. So coach, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate it. We wanted to start off and and today is the one year anniversary of, of the death of Kobe Bryant. So we wanted to know, obviously, you know, what is Kobe Bryant's uh, memories for you. And then obviously Kobe Bryant was, was very close to Sabrina. So did, did Kobe have any influence on your program? Yeah, it's, uh, obviously a tragic day, a memorable day. Uh, I know it's a, it's a day that my, uh, uh, team, certainly myself will remember forever. Uh, you know, ironically, I was not a Kobe fan necessarily while he was playing just because I wasn't a huge Laker guy. Um, but, you know, the last, I guess, three years now, almost, um, you know, I became a fan because he became a friend of the program. It wasn't just Sabrina. He, he supported us. He supported our team a lot, came to several of our games. And um, I still remember, you know, a couple of years ago when, um, you know, US, we we're playing at USC, his assistant had called a couple of days before our game saying that, uh, that Kobe and his daughter Gigi and some of her teammates, all of whom were Duck fans, um, wanted to come to our game and he, you know would it be okay if Kobe uh, met with your team after the game <laughs> one of the easiest uh, answers of all time right <laughs> so that was the first time I met him first time the team had met him we wore our Kobe's that game we won convincingly and um, he had a lot of really great words for the team and he spent some time with each and every player and uh, he knew a little bit about each one of their games and uh, talked to him signed their shoes and uh, it was a pretty, pretty neat experience. And Alyssa Altabelli, who was one of Gigi's friends, she's a duck. They're a duck family, the Altabellis. And she also, uh, she and her mom and dad were on that, in that helicopter and passed that day as well. So, um, you know, we had a connection and, and saw him several times after that. I still remember about a month before he died, we were playing at Long Beach State. He and Gigi and a couple of the other girls came to the game. And I remember after the game, he and I, uh, we, we talked at half court for just a, a minute or so. And I just thanked him for being a fan of our team and a, a supporter of women's basketball. I thanked him for being a great dad and a great role model. I remember I gave him a hug and said I'd see him later. And little did I know that was the last time I'd see him. But uh, he ended up uh, really developing a great relationship with Sabrina. And those two communicated, you know, several times a week. And I think he saw a lot of uh, himself in her. And so I think that's where the connection came, but, uh, you know, crazy, uh, uh, a crazy surreal day. We were in the, in the dressing room, uh, getting ready to play our heated rivals, Oregon state in Corvallis when the news came down. And, uh, 
it was a very emotional game. It happened to be on ESPN as well. So we had a national TV audience. Um, uh, just uh, the way that uh, Sabrina's sister stepped up and, and played so well for her and we won that game, uh, I think was a real testament to what it means to be on a team. So we miss Kobe. Uh, certainly miss, uh, you know, all the others that, that, that were on that flight uh, with him. But, um, you know, I listen, um, he did a lot of good while he was here. Definitely, definitely. It's just it goes to show how incredibly detailed he was by you saying he learned something about every every single player. Yeah, that was amazing to me, you know, and, and that was the first time he'd seen us, at least in person. I'm sure he'd watched some games on TV, but uh, yeah, and, and he was right on point, even they even those that had played just a couple of minutes. Yeah, some of my favorite ESPNs are those Kobe detail. Those are those are really in-depth, some of my favorite things. So let's let's go kind of into this season now uh, with you guys. Uh, obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic or hopefully we're getting out the back end. But, you know, your guys are back on TV. Everybody sees you. But, you know, I kind of wanted you to walk us through what has been the process just to be able to play on like a day-to-day basis and, and the things your players are doing to try to stay safe and, and, you know, just keep it going, you know, obviously with delays and, and everything like that. Well, I can't speak for everybody else, but for my program, I really commend our, our student athletes. They've, they've been uh, terrific. It's a season unlike any other. And here we, out of our 13 players, nine are newcomers. have never played for the Ducks, seven are freshmen. Um, you know, and they haven't had a chance to bond and do the things that we would normally do. One of the things that we believe in is spending a lot of time off the court together. We can't, we can't even have a meal together. That's still off limits in the state of Oregon and in our county. So, you know, they, they basically come to practice. They stay distant as much as possible while they're at practice. And they go home and spend a lot of time, you know, a, alone. And I, I really feel for them. This is just not the experience they, they were expecting to have when they came to Oregon. Um, but I, I do commend them. We, we do test each and every day. We wear... Uh, monitors so that uh, we know when we're within six feet of each other during practice. We wear them all during practice. We still wear our face masks during practice until the very end when we do some five on five. So we're trying to mitigate, you know, we, we, we don't want any, uh, the county to have any opportunity to shut us down if we do have a positive test and knock on wood, we haven't had any uh, yet this year. So I really, like I said, commend our, our players and our, our, our staff and our medical staff. They just do a tremendous job. But you guys, it, it's crazy. I, I just feel for the kids. You know, part of the experience of going to college is the experience of going to college, you know? And uh, you can still have a good time and be a student athlete. And that they're just not afforded that this year. So you, you touched on a little bit here, but coming into your season, right? You're, you just said it, your team composition changed quite a bit. You lost three top 10 players, you know, three top 10 players in in the country and going into the WNBA, you brought in seven freshmen. Um, You know, you have returning players, new roles. You know, I saw in the year you had some people coming off injury. Um, And, you know, freshmen haven't played college basketball. It's no matter how talented it is, a big jump. How have you been with all these restrictions, developing your team's continuity and chemistry throughout the year and, 
and you obviously have had to do some things different this year. What are those things you've been doing differently than previous years? Well, it's been a challenge, first of all. I mean, it's not easy, uh, you know, because we really we weren't able to go as a team together until mid-October. So all summer was spent in groups of four or smaller and they couldn't do any one-on-one uh, -on -one or anything live. It had to be basically skill work, uh, separated from the others. Uh, so we didn't have a lot of time to mesh this group. And so I, I'm, I'm really proud of them. They've done a terrific job. You know, we've, we played actually pretty good basketball considering. And then when you look at Sedona Prince and Niara Savali, two of the best players really in the country and, and certainly in our conference, um, you know, they hadn't played in two and a half years. <laughs> they, they'd had to sit out two years each. And so that, that, that takes a toll on them. They've been a little rusty. And, you know, we haven't been fully healthy with our whole squad until the first couple of weeks of, uh, of the season. So, um, you know, we're, hopefully we start to get, uh, you know, everybody healthy at the same time. We can sync up what's been a pretty good defensive group so far with, at times, an, an explosive offensive team. And maybe we'll have something down the stretch. We'll see. But, uh, you know, I think you just uh, – you know, I, I believe in fundamentals. Uh, we don't do a lot of scrimmaging in practice anyway. Uh, I just believe in, in all those basics, passing, catching, finishing, spacing, moving without the ball, uh, th those kind of things that, um, you know, that we re try to reinforce every day. So even though we haven't had a ton of time to really work together still, I think those fundamentals uh, carry us sometimes. So that leads me into the next question. Um, and, you know, we kind of answered a little bit, but you, so you come off a stretch where you have at the time, number six, UCLA, then you go number one, Stanford. And obviously it's changed a little bit here, uh, Cal, and then number 10, Arizona. And then uh, your Arizona state game gets postponed. So now you have a, have a week off, which is at this time of the year, pretty unusual. You know, you're, you're going every couple of days and you had a, a little break. Uh, because of, you know, time off earlier in the year. What are you doing during those weeks? Uh, are you self-scout, adjustments, refining, finding what you do? Um, you know, because that's not usually time you have during the season. Well, we burned the Arizona tape, quite frankly. It was brutal. I mean, we played on a Thursday. We were supposed to play Arizona State on a Sunday. So we had actually an extra day on the road that week. I was kind of disappointed because I was looking forward to some sunshine. You know, we get a lot of liquid sunshine here in Oregon, as you can kind of see behind me. But, uh, uh, you know, we had to pack it up and go home. And quite frankly, uh, you know, right or wrong, however, everybody would have a differing opinion on this. I actually gave the team the weekend off. And I just said, you know, use the time to recharge. We didn't practice Friday. It was a travel day home. And then I gave them Saturday and Sunday off. And, uh, you know, it was beautiful here that weekend. So I know a lot of them went to the Oregon coast. They spent some time back in nature, went to a local lake. Uh, and, and I think it was good. We had a great week of practice last week. So it's just, you know, and played well on the weekend. So I think everybody's a little bit different. Uh, that's how we we did it. You're right. It was a very tough stretch. Two of those games on the road. And quite frankly, the UCLA game at home was a game really we'd love to have back there. An excellent team. There's no question about it. We lost by by two, uh, had a chance to win it late. And, you know, that's one of those games where I think not having fans really helps. I mean, we, we draw 11, 12,000 fans every night. Guaranteed. We had two 11 point comebacks during that game. Guaranteed if the fans were here and and elevating us the way they do and uh, intimidating opposing teams, we win that game. You know, I, I just, I truly believe that. And that's not to take anything away from Corey Close and his, and, and her great team, but uh, that's just uh, how I feel. 
Uh, Stanford, again, another game. We were up at the end of the first, up at half, had a chance there, and we just didn't, uh, you know, we didn't finish it off. So uh, learning, you know, we continue to learn and continue to get better, and that's how you grow. Uh, you can learn from those losses and then, uh, you know, hopefully we just uh, get better for it. We've got them each again, and we'll see if we've improved the second time. So coach, you know, we, Todd and I both like to, to do our homework before we interview a coach and, and something I noticed when, when you started at Gonzaga and Oregon, it wasn't necessarily the easiest start win loss wise. Yeah. So when you started at both Gonzaga and Oregon, you know, you obviously had to build up the program. So for you to the to other coaches out there, what are keys to rebuild that you learned when you took over both programs? Well, I think it need to, to, you know, believe in yourself, hold yourself to a, you know, a, a certain standard and then just, uh, it just grind. I mean, I know it sounds cliche and everything. Uh, you know, we, we try to develop the culture uh, before we, you know, were able to bring in, you know, big time players. I think you can still learn from losing. You can still, you know, let your players know this is how we're going to do things, be consistent in that. Uh, I think at both places, I, you know, we tried to implement, implement our five core values, which are passion, unity, integrity, thankfulness, and servanthood, and really believe in those and, and uh, try to reinforce those each and every day. We did that at both places. I had to make some decisions at both places. We let very talented players go early on if we could tell that, you know, they just weren't going to really buy into to the vision that we had. Uh, because that's what it is. It has to be a shared vision. It can't just be, hey, this is where I think we got to go. You got to get people to buy in. And uh, it was difficult at both places. My first year at Gonzaga, man, we were like five and 23. We went 0 and 14 in league. And I always tell people, don't let the record fool you because we weren't that good. Believe me, it was uh, it was brutal at times. But, uh, you know, we brought in six or seven freshmen that second year and they started and we won two games in league. And then the next year we won nine. Uh, their senior year, we went 14 and 0. Uh, we continued to, to, you know, recruit and develop behind them. And uh, as freshmen, those kids went uh, 16 or 14 and 0 and we won our first of 10 straight championships and then that's when I came to Oregon and we had to kind of do it again using really the same template uh it takes you know hard work it takes cohesiveness with uh, with the staff uh, but listen let make no mistake about it guys it takes good players <laughs> so uh we 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 recruit well you know we recruit the right kind of kids that fit how we play and how we coach so that that was actually something I, I was going to get into but I'll ask it now you know talking about on the, on the elite end of recruiting. So obviously you've had Todd and I are both from Chicago, you know, we're both big Courtney Vandersloot fans, but you know, between Courtney and Sabrina, you know, obviously you've developed a, some formula for de developmental, you know, elite point guards and leaders. Is, is there something specific you look for in recruiting? I know you're going to say, you're going to tell me talent, but is there anything beyond talent that you look for in recruiting to develop those elite kind of players? Well, I think number one, and they would both tell you this, I surround them with other really good players. <laughs> okay. You know, Sabrina had Ruthie Hebert. She had Satu mm -hmm. Sabali, uh, you know, among others. Uh, Courtney Vandersloot had Heather Bowman and Vivian Fryce and uh, Caitlin Redman, who played in the WNBA. I mean, you know, they had good players around them. And then I think we have a system that is conducive to, to great point guard play. I try to get the ball to the point guard and give them a lot of freedom 
uh, you know, it's in their hands all the time, you know, especially in transition. Uh, when I recruit, I recruit point guards who are pass first players, even though Courtney Vandersloot was a big time scorer, actually leading scorer in the state of war or state of Washington as a senior and scored 2000 plus points. And so did Sabrina. They are at heart pass first players, just great vision, great competitive spirit. I don't worry about size. I don't worry about, you know, athleticism necessarily. They're both athletes. Sabrina's not going to go by most of the WNBA. But she still gets by him because she's smart, she's competitive, she's strong, she has uh, great hand-eye coordination and balance and can body control. That's all a part of athleticism. They're just not jets. And same with Courtney. You see her all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not the quickest player in the league, but boy, she sure play, plays fast with the basketball, makes great decisions, understands spacing, angles, all those kind of things that make point guards. And so I just think we have a pretty good eye for that. You know, Maite Cazorla, she she kind of bridged those two. She was a heck of a point guard for us and played uh, her rookie season, the whole season with the Atlanta Dream. And, uh, and I've got a great one now in Tahina Pau I think she's the next in, the, in a long line of really good point guards. So, you know, nothing magical. We have good players. We have a good system. And, um, you know, and I, 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 I kind of give them freedom. So I, I think this is a great question, and, and Todd himself will, will be a first-year. You always ask great questions. Uh, I don't know Come about on, all Todd. that, but uh, Todd himself will be a first-year head coach, and you know, I, I, you know, this will be my fifth year as a, as a head girls coach myself. For as for culture, let's say you have a player that that plays for you a year or two, and and they just don't buy in the culture. To to quote John Gordon, the author, they don't uh, they don't get on the bus. You know, kind of take us through how, how do you handle those situations for maybe a player that doesn't necessarily, you know, vibe with your culture or or feed into what you guys are saying? They usually eliminate themselves, quite frankly. You know, they 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 know, uh, you know, how we do things and and their teammates will. I wouldn't say ostracize them. We, we don't believe that. I mean, that you've got different players. They're from all over. They, they come have different backgrounds and you've got to make it work. But I think it, it's just critical that they buy in. And, and if it's obvious that, that they're not, uh, and I think you should try, you know, I don't I think you should give up on, on kids too early. And when, when you do have trouble with them, I always say, love them more, you know, Love them more, build a deeper relationship, let them know how much, you know, they mean to you and the team. And, and if it just doesn't work, I, I think you just got to, you got to part ways. I just think, you know, if you beat your head on that, that door is too much, it, it's not going to help anybody. So um, it's hard. It's never mm-hmm. fun. You don't want to lose players, but it's a necessity sometimes. And, and it's usually ends up being better for both parties you know, they can be happier going somewhere else that fits them. So uh, going along with, with the culture piece, you know, I noticed that you had a lot of assistants that went on to be head coaches. Uh, so kind of just take us through when you're hiring an assistant, you know, what are, what are things you're looking for in hiring an assistant coach? People, persons, <laughs> life lovers. I, it's just, you spend a lot of time with them. I spend more time with my assistants uh, then I do my, my family, my wife, mm-hmm. kids, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, they, you just have to have people that really, um, kind of, you know, love life. They, they love building relationships with players. I mean, obviously you want, want them to work hard. Uh, I look for the same things in assistance that I look in for in players, you know, 
high IQ, potential, you know, those, those kind of things. But you guys, it's critical that, that you have an awesome staff. And I've just been blessed with that. Now, at the same time, I don't micromanage. You know, I, I, they, they know what they, their responsibilities are and their, their jobs. And, and I let them do their work. I'm not looking over them all the time and I'm not correcting. I, I let them work out on the court. And I think that's why, you know, so many have moved on and, uh, and done well. But if you look at all of them from Lisa Fortier at Gonzaga, okay, happy person, never had a bad day. Nicole Powell at UC Riverside, happy person's never had a bad day. J.R. Payne at University of Colorado, happiest person in the world has never had a bad day, or at least they, they don't show it. Uh, and then a, a, a person who played for me, never coached with me, but Tracy Sanders uh, at Southern Utah University, those four D1 coaches, same thing. She's as happy a person as you're ever going to see. So uh, I just think that that's not by, um, by chance. Is there anything specifically that you do? You know, I, I myself believe in a lot of, like kind of like you said, ownership for your coaches. Is there anything you do to kind of develop your coaches challenge them, put them in certain situations, anything you do to develop your assistants? Well, not nothing that I do, just that they all have responsibilities. I have one of my assistant coaches is a, kind of responsible for our defense Another, uh, you know, calls and, and calls the defense during games. Uh, another one does our out of bounds, our late game stuff. Um, you know, when we need something late, they're the ones that are going to be drawn it up. And, uh, you know, and, and we work on that. Uh, each assistant has a position group that they're kind of responsible for. And during practice, I might just put 15, 20 minutes position breakdown and then give them the opportunity and the flexibility to work on with that group, whatever they think they need. So um, I, I don't think it's anything I'm trying to do. I just, I believe in them. And, uh, and, you know, I just think that works better. Um, especially in a recruiting, you know, we all share that. We don't have one necessary, you know, we do have one person, Mark Campbell's kind of oversees the recruiting, but everybody has a hand in it. And, um, um, and I think that's important too. So my, my last question that I had before we kind of transition is you've, you've obviously won at a very high level, taking three programs to the NCAA tournament. Um, but you know, what is something you've learned from a major loss in your career? Well, that the sun will come out the next day, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, um, you know, the other thing is, you know, um, look at it practically. What could we have done different, but don't blame yourself, you know, don't blame the referees. Don't blame any particular player. Everybody had a hand in it. You know, and I think too many times we go, ah, if I would have just, no, nah, you know what? They ran a pretty good play and then just missed that open 18 footer. Yep. Or, ah, you know, we went eight for, for 16 from the free throw line, whatever. The case. It's never one play. And so I just think too many times coaches beat themselves up and even worse, beat some players up. Uh, and then absolutely, uh, officials. Uh, that's ridiculous. You know, officials aren't trying to cheat anybody. They might have bad nights too, but you know, that's just, that's just life. So, Hey, sun will come out the next day. Just deal with it. We all win. We all lose It's part of the game. Unless you're Gino, of course. You know, well, 
Yes. I think unless you're Juno or Pat's summit, I think that's yeah. a little bit different. Is, is, is there ever been a, a scenario where you have reflected and thought after a game, like, you know what, maybe we should tweak something we did or, you know, something I've learned through mine is, you know, I've taken an assistance idea at the end of the game and we've lost. And, and those are the ones where I have to realize like, Hey, it might've been their idea, but in the end, as I said, in a podcast, it was really my idea. Cause I, you know, we used it. So has there ever been a scenario where you may have used an idea lost and then reflected on, like, I really thought I should have done blank. Oh, I think we all do. That's just human nature. You're always second guessing yourself and you should, that's how you get better. You know, break the game down. What, what specific areas could you have done better? What was our out of bounds plus minus? Oh man, tonight on our blobs, we only scored two points out of them, but gave up six. Uh, you know, this sideline, this after timeout uh, set, you know, those kind of things to look back and, and you start to break it down and go, man, we could have done this and this and this better. But I don't think you overreact. I, I just don't. I think that's when you get in trouble, you know, when you start putting all new stuff in because this one didn't work this particular game. Trust your own system. Trust your own way you coach. And uh, it usually works out uh, uh, the way it should in the end. But um, and, and, you know, the other thing is I'm not afraid to give credit to my my staff when they make great plays. I I look at uh, when we beat Kelsey Plum. Uh, in front of 12,000 people at the University of Washington when Sabrina and all those guys who were freshmen. My staff, particularly Mark Campbell and, and Chavi Lopez, came up with a great game plan that they, they weren't expecting. And you could tell it threw them for a loop, enough for us to have gained some control of the game. Uh, when I was at Gonzaga, when we knocked off Louisville uh, to go to the, our first Elite Eight, that was Courtney Vandersloot's senior year, um, I was – kind of doing something else uh, with an injured player or something late in the game. And we're sh uh, shooting a free throw. And my staff, Lisa Fortier, who's coaching now at Gonzaga, she had called a press uh, to pick them up full court, a quick trap. And God dang, if we didn't get a still and a, <laughs> and a layup in that crucial minute, you know, with about a minute and a half to go, that was her call. I was doing something else. She made that call at the free throw line and, uh, you know, and the rest is history. We beat them. So it doesn't matter. You shouldn't care who gets the credit. It's amazing how much can be accomplished when no one cares who gets the credit. Agreed. Are you listening, Washington? Jeez Louise. They don't get anything done back there because nobody wants the other side to get the credit. It drives me nuts. We'd actually have a functioning democracy and country if, if people would just put their egos aside and try and figure this thing out for crying out loud. I just like right. Todd. I just like Todd when he said that he, he beat Kelsey Plum, not Mike Neighbors. That was my favorite part of that answer. Oh well, yeah, well, Neighbors <laughs> was was there. You know who else they had on that team? They had Ari McDonald, was just a freshman on that group. Yeah. Uh, they had Chantel Osahor. That was a good group. They were coming off a of Final Four, and that place was packed. That got us in the NCAA tournament, man. That win alone, we were on the bubble, and that got us in. It was during the it was second round of the conference tournament in Seattle. All right, coach. So you're not you already said you burned this tape, so you're not going to like this question probably. Yeah. So I, I turn on the Arizona game, and Arizona comes out with their hair on fire on defense. Yep. Right. They come out, and they are just in the zone. Right. I, I don't yep. know. You know, you guys had maybe six or seven turnovers. So you know, when in those type of games, in the timeouts in between quarters how are you and your staff trying to 
get it back, you know, because sometimes a team can get shell shocked a little bit. And you had a, you have a young team as well that maybe they've never experienced like that at the college level before. Um, yeah. Is it, you know, I know you guys made some adjustments. You kind of went high, low, you attacked the post a little bit more. Um, but do you rely on scout based things? Um, you know, I always like to have something in my back pocket for an adjustment. It, you know, what are you kind of doing in those situations to help your team as a staff and, and players? Well, in that particular game, I didn't do a very good job. I didn't call a timeout that early. Uh, probably should have, maybe could have. I'm just not a big timeout guy. I've always believed in letting your kids figure it out. Um, uh, we didn't figure it out until it was too late that day. We made a couple of nice runs, had some good lineups that, that did work, just not enough. Um, every game, I have a game plan. I, I wish I had one to show you right here, but I, I put down a game plan. I put my top five crunch time plays. I list my after timeouts, uh, first sets, uh, some offensive keys, some defensive keys, um, specific ways we can get so-and-so the ball in, in this situation, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, I have an, a plan A, a plan B, and then a plan C. And uh, plan A is what you hope works. Plan B is what you go to when it's not working as well. Plan C is, you know what, we're in trouble. Let's just try and survive. And uh, we kind of got to the plan C and we're just, you know, scratching whatever we could out against them. It was a composure thing. We just completely lost our composure and uh, didn't handle that pressure. But it, again, it was a good learning experience for us, hopefully. Some nights, man, you're just in trouble. You can scratch and claw and do what you can. I tried every combination that we had and nothing other than that the, when we went big and that was mm -hmm. Sedona's first game back and we were yep. only supposed to play her 10 minutes. Uh, you know, unfortunately, that was one of the only few lineups that worked. Yeah, you guys made a little bit of a run when you put, yeah. when you kind of started going high low and teaming them it, off of each other. If you would have told me that we would have held them to 57 points, Mm -hmm. I would have said we win double figures. And mm -hmm. uh, so defensively, I thought we played pretty well was, and played them even the last three quarters, you know, but defended well. Only I think they scored 37 points the last three quarters. That's a good team. So defensively, we did some good things. We just couldn't shoot it and we couldn't uh, throw it to the people in our same uniform colors. <laughs> I, you know, coach, I, I think that's interesting. I, I didn't say this ahead of time, but I think so many people talk about your program in terms of their offense. You know, what are some things that you look to do some key pillars of your defense? I, I just think that that is so interesting that so many people talk about your ball screen offense and things you do offensively and but they kind of take us through your defense if you don't mind. Yeah. Well, and they should, because we've been the most efficient offense, um, you know, over the last several years in NCA history, really. Uh, but defense has always been important to us. We actually had the sixth rated uh, defense in the, in the country last year. So people that kind of gets lost. Um, we're a scout based defense. You guys, uh, I just, I, we don't have the kind of athleticism uh, to get out and get into people. So, you know, we run a two, two, one tempo press, you know, just make you reverse it maybe a couple of times, take a few seconds off the clock. Um, you know, we, uh, we, 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 tr we have good length, so we'll try to trap when we can in certain spots, but we're, we, we keep our defense pretty tight. Uh, try to hold you to one shot, try to contest every shot, you know, and, and play position defense. And then we'll change our defenses up. So I believe in surprise and change. 
So show them something real quick. Maybe a trap the ball screen, uh, a side ball screen one time. Uh, maybe double team the post uh, for a quarter. Uh, and then switch between man and we have a couple of different zones. So that, that's kind of the way we've been able to get it done. You know, we, like I said, we just, you know, I could name a, a few names, but, you know, we're not going to get out and get in your face and, and force a lot of turnovers. That's why we, you, you come to one of our games, you guys, we don't force many turnovers. We don't turn the ball over much ourselves. We don't get to the foul line very often and we don't foul people. So you can come to one of our games and go home in an hour and a half. That includes the timeouts. So, uh, you know, that's just kind of how we've played. So you're telling me there's, there's not any uh, Syracuse women, uh, Quentin Hillsman uh, elements to your defense over there, coach? Well, I, we played them at their place last year. That, mm -hmm. was, uh, that was a good game. I like Q, man. He's a good dude. And he's got, he's got a nice team. But, yeah, we just um, – I think that's why we're kind of fun to watch most nights, you know. This year's been a little struggle from time to time. But most nights because we play pretty good basketball. We share the ball. We, we do the right things. Um, you know, it's not always a knockout, drag them out kind of game. All right, so we always finish with our fun top five. So, you know, I we are obviously Todd and I are both big Nike guys, but you know, yeah. you're in the Nike uh, mecca of the world there. So kind of take us through, it doesn't have to be women's basketball, but just some, some your top five, you know, Oregon uniform combinations of any sport that you've seen since you've been there. Of any sport, well, our football is second to none. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have a different uniform combination for every game and and that's they're right on point man uh i like i like ours man. i i love our blacks uh the ones we wore at yukon last year when we beat them at their place uh it doesn't say oregon anywhere it just has a they're, they're black with some green trim and a, a yellow duck right there on the front uh, i think that was our best combination last year nike did both uh road and home retro jerseys uh, from back in the 90s they redid them uh, and that was those were pretty cool but there's um, you know we have a different combination almost every single game you guys we either change the shooting shirt or the shoes uh, these kids get they're, they're just spoiled I think our players got 21 pair of shoes last year each so they're getting uh, they're getting them in whites greens blacks and uh, uh, yellows and then they get two or three different kinds. So they might like the Paul Georges, the, 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 the Freaks, or the Kobe's, whatever fits them. And so they'll get those three styles in each color. So when we're wearing greens per se, or for instance, there might be four or five different types of green shoes out there, but they're still all Nike. Somebody likes Kyrie's better than KD's or LeBron's. So it's... Uh, it's pretty cool, and it's hard to sometimes stay a little humble. You know, I think our kids sometimes feel a little entitled because they get so much stuff. But we, we thank Phil Knight. You know, Phil texts me, you guys, after almost every game. So he's watching. He knows our team, and, he, and he's watching. Well, Coach, we, we could I, – I actually messaged Todd on the side. I'm like, I could talk to Coach Graves for hours. So – we, we gravely and, and dearly appreciate you being on. We 
we are humbled and, and was excited for you to agree. So we dearly appreciate you being on our, our podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure, you guys. I wish you the best. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the After the Timeout podcast. For more information and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. You can find all of our episodes on anchor.fm, Spotify, Overcast, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching After the Timeout. Thank you for listening.